Hi, everyone. This is Mitch Ashley with DevOps.com, and you're listening to another DevOps Chat podcast. Today, I'm joined by Chris McCord, architectural engineer at Dockyard. Our topic today is Phoenix, a web framework for Elixir. Now, Chris is also the creator of Phoenix, and he's also an author. So I think we'll have plenty to talk about today. Chris, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Would you start out by introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and also what Dockyard does. Sure, yeah. So as you mentioned, I'm the creator of uh, a web framework called Phoenix. Uh, it runs on the Elixir programming language, which runs on the Erlang virtual machine. And I'm sure we'll get into uh, what all that means uh, for maybe some of the audience that isn't familiar. Um, but essentially what I do, uh, apart from building the framework, is uh, work with Dockyard to uh, build out full stack projects for our clients. Uh, so that's anything from Fortune 100 companies to startups. And we use uh, Elixir to power all the solutions uh, for these clients. Uh, so we, we also you know do design and UXD, but as far as my focus, it's really focusing on backend systems and building out scalable platforms. Certainly a, a big need these days with all the applications that we're creating and need to integrating and scaled. So let, let's jump into uh, your work and what well, we'll start first with what is Phoenix and maybe a little bit of background on Elixir for folks who don't know what that's about and Elixir and Erlang. Yeah, so uh, Phoenix is kind of like the de facto, uh, you know, web library framework for Elixir. And uh, so the quickest uh, synopsis is Elixir is a programming language which runs on the Erlang virtual machine. Uh, so Erlang is a language that has been around uh, for over 30 years now. It was actually developed in the 80s uh, by mm-hmm. Ericsson to run uh, telecommunication systems. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so they kind of built this niche language to solve a very specific set of problems in the 80s. Uh, and meanwhile, the programming community at large uh, focused on object orientation, single threaded languages. Uh, so fast forward to today where we kind of uh, have Moore's law in effect and we're starting to add more cores to keep up with uh, the CPU speeds. Um, all of our traditional languages have kind of uh, suddenly hit, hit a wall where it's like suddenly we can no longer count on our programs, uh, you know, doubling in speed every year. We have to add multiple, multiple cores, but most languages weren't made for multi-core age. So it turns out the specific niche set of problems that Erlang solved in the 80s actually maps perfectly on the multi-core age. Uh, so I think uh, we had this kind of nugget of innovation in this Erlang virtual machine kind of sitting there largely unnoticed. And then uh, the creator of Elixir, uh, Jose Van Leem, came in in 2011 and kind of, uh, you know, recognize this innovation and, and build a modern language with some kind of features that programmers are, are used to um, basically in these in these mainstream languages and build a language on top of their own virtual machine. Elixir was birthed on top of this um, niche uh, virtual machine and uh, you know not not that Erlang has had its own successes you know we, we've heard about like WhatsApp with their mm-hmm. you know, 20 billion dollar acquisition you know they were running uh, 10 million users per server and I think they supported that with like 30 engineers total. Um, amazing. So, so yeah, so that's kind of the heritage and has what uh, allowed uh, Elixir, the language, to kind of take off much faster, I think, than what, what a typical new language would be. And then, of course, I was able to come in and, and uh, you know, literally stand on the shoulder of giants and build a web framework on top of Elixir, which is, you know, gives us all these uh, amazing scalable features. So exactly the metaphor I was thinking. The, we all stand on the shoulders of giants. That's one of the great things about our industry is uh, what's old is new again, and we, we build on the successes of, uh, of the past. Talk a little bit about what, why did you 
embark on creating a web framework on top of Elixir? What was the, were you working on a project and saying, hey, I keep building the same code over or I have friends that have the same kind of need, maybe I should go build something. What was sort of the inspiration for, for creating Phoenix? Yeah, so for me, um, my background is like Java and then PHP and then, and then Ruby, but for the last, uh, or for the previous, let's say uh, six or seven years before I got into Elixir, I was doing Ruby professionally. And I was loving it, uh, doing a lot of Ruby on Rails uh, for folks that are familiar with that framework. Mm -hmm. Ruby's a great language. Love it. Yeah. And, um, you know, had, had a lot of happy uh, clients. And uh, as um, kind of the web evolved to this more real-time connected nature, uh, we had more and more requirements. And the more and more types of applications I wanted to build were, you know, real-time connections, you know, showing live updates on a page, doing things that you would expect to be able to do. Um, or that we expect to be able to do as users on the on the web today. And I was hitting walls with Ruby, and I was trying to make libraries to support kind of real-time applications, and uh, things just uh, were very brittle and, and weren't uh, scaling well at all. So that's when I started looking around to say, like, you know, if I could uh, pick a language to write kind of like a real-time applications in, what would I pick? And that's kind of where I discovered uh, Erlang, and WhatsApp had just been acquired. So I kind of saw how they were running millions of users per server. And that's where I said, how are they doing that? I want to be able to do that. And that's when I uh, had discovered Elixir and uh, the creator of Elixir, Joseph Liam, had come from the Ruby community. So I kind of remembered that, oh, um, you know, he went off and created this, this language. Maybe I should go see what he was doing. And that's kind of what sparked my interest. And then I fell in love with Elixir. And I said, the only thing, <laughs> the only thing I need to do is write a web framework so I can build all my client applications uh, in this. So that's kind of what started uh, the whole thing. Isn't, isn't it interesting if I remember right in Ruby, I think libraries are called, called gems or packages of libraries. So that experience there said, how do I do something like that in this new language that you're working in and poof, eventually leads you to uh, creating Phoenix. What a great story. Yeah, exactly. And it, kind of, it was kind of under this promise of platform, right? So, you, I mean, I guess with any technology, you kind of take a leap of faith and, you know, I dove in, you know, reading the Erlang uh, WhatsApp uh, millions of connections per server and then uh, assume that we could do that. So, you know, long story short, two, year, two years or once we reached 1.0 in Phoenix, uh, we did benchmark in our, our real-time layer. Uh, we, we benchmarked up to 2 million uh, connections on a single server. Wow. We were only limited by, we had to spin up like 45 servers to send that amount of traffic and we just ran out of connections. So we weren't limited on the server. We, we could have pushed it further. So, we kind of, uh, it's kind of been an interesting history, kind of, you know, taking this leap of faith, assuming what you read about a technology is true and assuming that you can actually easily achieve or it's achievable by you personally. And then we kind of went through and, and showed that we can scale to, to millions of users. So it's been a, a really interesting and, and fun ride so far. Very nice. Well, if I, and if I understand you started this around, what, 2013, I think the first sort of public or, or production-ready release 1.0 was about two, 2015. So it's been in, in, the, in the community for a while. I'm sure it's matured since then. What's the state of Phoenix today? Yeah, so we've been 1.0 since 2015. I think my first commit was 2013. Uh, Elixir was started in 2011. Uh, didn't really hit any kind of usage till 2013. So um, mm. once Elixir, you know, went 1.0, which has been, um, it's been, it was before Phoenix 1.0, so 2014 maybe. Um, so we've been, we've seen uh, pretty stable and large adoption since then. And the language and the framework, so Elixir itself and Phoenix are still on, you know, one, one dot whatever release. 
and neither the language or Phoenix, we don't, we have no plans for a 2.0. I mean, some, at some mm -hmm. point in the future, there will be a 2.0, right? But we don't have like, we have a couple deprecations, but there isn't like, you know, something on the horizon where you're like, okay, now I have to rewrite everything. Um, so our goal is basically a stable core at the language level and the framework level. And we've had companies come in and, you know, we tout like a Bleacher Report is one big example we always point to because um, most, a lot of people know who, know who they are. So that sports news website, you know, they have like 80 to 100 million visitors a month and uh, they're built um, almost entirely now on Elixir and Phoenix. Mm. Uh, so we've had companies come in and build on top and, and seen uh, really great success so far. Are there any particular kinds of applications that are particularly well suited for Phoenix? Um, like a web application, like you mentioned, a sports site that might be delivering a lot of video content or photographic content, or or is there other applications more transaction oriented, like processing payments or whatever it might be through a, a web framework? What, what's the best kinds of apps that really take advantage of Phoenix? Yeah, so I mean, the the most basic answer is anything connected to a TCP socket. That's a lot of stuff. <laughs> right, a lot of things. So, um, <laughs> So I just want to, yeah, so, so basically all of the above to what you said, as far as, you know, anything, uh, anything web oriented, uh, anything with uh, like notifications. So, you know, Bleach Report started when their adoption with like the pushing out notifications to users and then Pinterest has um, not all of their stack, but the notification layer of Pinterest is written in Elixir. Uh, so we see a lot of companies doing kind of these uh, message broker style use cases, but I think mm -hmm. anything, Anything connected to a TCP socket, whether it's a, a web server, um, orchestration layer for your platform, um, you know, stuff outside of what we consider like the web is still going to be a great fit. But I think the the biggest adoption you know we see so far is is more web oriented, just because I think that's the biggest uh, market market share of developers. Right, all of us are have to do something web facing, but we have a broader reach beyond that, and you know that's not even to talk about we also have uh elixir can be used in the embedded space so you can mm -hmm. actually boot elixir and the entire Erlang runtime into like a, a 16 megabyte uh, linux image and run it on uh, on a, a mobile de or embedded device and you have all of these benefits but uh, so it will work equally well on like a raspberry pi zero up to a 100 core server and that's what's the most exciting thing for me is um, Phoenix more well suited to a uh, stateful kind of application or state stateless or does it make a difference really? Yeah. So stateful applications are, I mean, it's, it's the thing that we're able to do that no one else is able to do or do well as far as uh, these mainstream frameworks. So we'll still do, we can still do stateless HTTP just like mm -hmm. anyone else. And we can do mm -hmm. that uh, incredibly quickly and scalably. But the reason that brought me into Elixir was we can actually, build stateful applications with connections that stay alive. You know, we don't have to throw away uh, these stateless connections and try to fake um, some state. Uh, so that's basically why I built Phoenix was, you know, we call our real-time layer uh, the channels. It's mm -hmm. similar to like a socket IO if you're, uh, so basically it's an abstractions over, over web sockets. And mm -hmm. that's what I wanted to do. And that's what brought me in was the ability to, to hold these real-time connections. And, you know, anything we build today is, it's ultimately a chat app, right? Whether it's Twitter or Facebook or all these things we're trying to build, you, you need some kind of real-time nature. You need to be able to push updates to users, even if it's just to show like a notification count, you know, on the header bar of a website, you know, that's mm -hmm. way easier, way easy to do if you actually have a conversation going with that connected client versus trying to have like long polling or fake it over, or over stateless HTTP. 
Well, it's interesting with the cloud, and that's really kind of brought stateless uh, application design architecture to the forefront. But if I recall, Erlang's particularly well-suited uh, to doing uh, stateful kinds of applications and large volumes of it. So it sounds like that's part of what attracted to you to this environment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the whole uh, stateless, serverless um, approach is is interesting to me because, I mean, it's like, it's the opposite of what I think what we're able to excel at in our platform. And, mm -hmm. and what we're able, what we've seen is like, you know, just one example, um, someone was paying uh, $16,000 a month on uh, AWS, AWS Lambda and they rewrote that in Elixir and they're paying like $40 a month now. Mm -hmm. uh, so I do think that, yeah, there are merits to these stateless platforms, but I think um, it's under the guise of what we, what the alternatives were prior. So if, if your platform alternatively was mostly stateless, then having someone else handle your stateless concerns and scaling makes a lot of sense. But mm -hmm. if you can now build a stateful system, I think we kind of turn that whole idea on its head and we say, well, if we can just run all this on a few servers and it's going to scale, you know, for the lifetime of our business, then that's, that's way less complexity and way less vendor lock-in than these other solutions. Interesting. So now I think you also just recently concluded a talk. I think it was, uh, was it Phoenix Live View? Is that the name of the conference? I know, I think it was that the, the challenge that yes, you Yes, it was a Elixir Conf and Elixir I, Comp, that's I guess, right. talked about Phoenix Live View. Yep. What was your talk about there? Yeah, so I presented Live View last year at Elixir Conf and it's kind of like a proof concept. And then we've been working on it for a year and I uh, really presented a uh, how far we come in a year. So, you know, last uh, last year it was kind of prototype, had some promise, and this year it's, um, I showed practical use cases and the kinds of uh, efficiencies that we were able to get and even how we're able to beat kind of traditional single page applications uh, using Phoenix Live View. Mm -hmm. Cool. I, there was this thing called Phoenix Frenzy too. I think it was a challenge that came out of it, correct? Yeah, so uh, Dockyard, uh, the folks at Dockyard put their... Um, their free time together and, and help get this uh, contest site together, which is really just a contest for the community to put uh, examples of Phoenix Live View together, kind of uh, to one, compete with each other, and also to kind of grow uh, broader awareness of the platform outside the community. Uh, so yeah, Phoenix Live View allows you to build, we say, uh, we, we say rich uh, real-time applications with server rendered HTML. So you don't have to write any JavaScript yourself and you're able to get uh, kind of these uh, interactive applications uh, in much faster time and much less complexity than what you would probably be used to. Uh, so that the competition is a way for people to kind of showcase their work and, and what's possible. And uh, how, is, how are the winners selected to the competition? Are you, is there a board that you're part of or how do you decide this is like the best of the best? Yeah, we have a handful of judges, um, quite a few members of the Phoenix core team are judges and as well as a few members uh, in the community. Uh, so once I think we'll just go through and kind of vote on our favorites and mm -hmm. the most votes wins. What, what's the prize? Is there a grand prize other than the recognition? Bragging rights. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. In the future, you know, we'll, we will look into prizes. Um, if anyone's ever run a competition like this, uh, you immediately get into some some legal waters trying to award prizes, especially with uh, different geographic and age restrictions. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. really it was a matter of trying to make sure we can do a competition without you know waiting months on on the legal process, but maybe in the future. But for now, it's just uh, that global recognition. 
Well, I think there's something to say for, uh, you know, attaining some Phoenix street cred. So I think that's, that's probably worth it itself. Phoenixfrenzy.com. Frenzy with a PH um, is available and anyone can join. And like I said, we're, for me, it's just, uh, it's just really neat seeing people build things with live view. So it's, um, I think people should give it a shot if they're at all interested. You know, one of the things, great things about the opportunity to talk to you, Chris, is it's, it's very cool to be able to talk with someone who had this idea, created this framework, wrote books like, you know, Programming Phoenix and Metaprogramming or Elixir, et cetera, that you've, that you've created. You have this, uh, this contest, uh, speaking about uh, Phoenix at, at uh, ElixirCon. So it, you really kind of built a career around doing this, but it's something that you've kind of birthed what, five, six years ago, that's, that's got to be a great feeling of satisfaction for you. Yeah, it's been a, been a very interesting ride. Um, you know, when I started this, I didn't, I didn't have any plans for where it was going. It was kind of, um, I always wanted to be involved in open source um, from, you know, very, from the ultra, altruistic side of things where, you know, I was using open source uh, libraries and frameworks. So I felt like I was taking and not giving back. Uh, mm-hmm. So when I got into Elixir, it was more like a passion project, right? You know, I really, I wanted Phoenix to be successful, but I had no idea if Elixir itself would even be successful. Uh, so as things kind of took off, um, yeah, it's just an interesting to see it grow. And especially from, you know, there's a whole other conversation in here that we don't have time to have. But, you know, as far as like burnout and, you know, once Phoenix became popular, and people mm-hmm. were using it. And then I suddenly was like, oh, oh my gosh, I have to maintain this, right? Like, Look it, what it, I created. <laughs> um, so anyway, so it went from, you know, fortunately, I was able to find a sustainable path from there, you know, because I was working full time at work and then working full time at home on open source. Uh, so I think had I not found Dockyard where Dockyard hired me to spend the majority of my time on open source, I you know, would probably be living in the woods somewhere. Uh, so fortunately, I was able to find a sustainable path to open source development. Um, that's a very hard bridge to cross, I think, for a lot of maintainers. Uh, so it fortunately is. for me, I was able to yeah, cross that bridge successfully. And it's been a you know mutually beneficial for myself, the company, and, and, the, and the Elixir community. Well, kudos for, to Dockyard for doing that, for finding the kind of synergistic uh, relationship with you to allow you to do so much work on it and continue that work. Speaking of that, what, what's the future of uh, Phoenix? What do you see coming down the road in the next six to 24 months? What's going to happen? Yeah, so I think LiveView, I mean, it's, it's probably where the biggest hype is um, because, uh, like I said, you could build, uh, you could build an equivalently, equivalent feature uh, application for some some single page app but mm-hmm. with probably like 10 times less code and 10 times faster to market because you don't have to write all this javascript and we can do it in a scalable way so i encourage folks to to check out my keynote at electric if, if they want to see more about how how i can make those claims but uh, i we talked about our optimizations so i see that kind of being at the forefront for the next year or so as mm-hmm. far as what's happening in the community um, but see- beyond that oh, uh, for the framework itself we're, we're go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say beyond beyond that, uh, we see uh, we're, we're going to add like um, telemetry and metric integration in the framework, so uh, you'll be able to you know at a glance see what's happening in your system. So that'll be just built into the framework where you can see, you know, if your system's slow, you can exactly pinpoint uh, what's going on uh, at the framework level and your application code level and, and diagnose issues. So I think that's one of the bigger features that's coming is not yet in place, but outside of that, I think we're going to grow organically around uh, kind of this uh, real-time applications, uh, whether that's with channels or, or Phoenix Live View. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, we've uh, and 
definitely an enjoyable conversation. I feel like we could talk for a couple more hours. I'd love to sit down and grab a beer with you sometime. Um, thank you for being on the podcast. It's great to have you here, Chris. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks a lot. Well, to our audience, uh, you've listened to another podcast and I'd like to thank Chris McCord, who's uh, you know not only architectural engineer at Dockyard, but of course, creator of the open source uh, project Phoenix and uh, author, thought leader, and great, uh, great problem solver. So it's great to see th good things happening with uh, Phoenix. So thanks for joining us. And of course, we'd like to thank you, our listeners, for joining us today. This is Mitch Ashley with DevOps.com, and you've listened to another DevOps chat. Be careful out there.